Hello everyone, and welcome to Downsizing, the podcast where we try and figure out when The Office actually ended, because everyone would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I'll be your host, and with me is my co-host and resident office expert, Antoinette. Hey everyone. This week we will be discussing Season 4, Episode 2, Dunder Mifflin Infinity. In this episode, Ryan flexes his corporate muscles... We see changes in a few relationships, and Michael fights the machine. In this cold open, we see Pam and Jim just kind of making day plans and kind of just being real lovey-dovey with each other in the break room, and Pam leaves the break room and then comes right back in and just gives Jim a little peck on the cheek. And this catches the attention of Toby, who sees all this from his desk in the annex. And he decides to get a little petty here. And a little creepy. He decides that what he will do is send out a notice to everyone, a memo, uh, reminding the office about the rules regarding PDA, or public displays of affection. Michael gets really irritated thinking that this is about him and Jan and apparently since Jan doesn't work Jan comes into Michael's office and they mess around in his office which is weird and probably not uh, acceptable at work. Finally Toby says that it's not about Michael it's about Jim and Pam which sets off alarm bells for everybody but because no one knows that Jim and Pam are dating. So yeah, Jim and Pam are kind of forced to make their relationship public, something that, as we saw in last episode, they were taking great measures to avoid happening. It's still unclear as to why. I mean, partly everyone's reaction could explain that. People are weirdos, not the least of Michael and Toby, Michael just is over the moon about this and thinking that he had something to do with it, probably. Now, people are just happy and excited for them, probably because people have eyes and have seen them flirting and being close for years. So this is probably a natural progression once Karen and Roy were out of the picture. Toby is really... We always have known or we've seen glimpses of this over previous seasons that he has a crush on Pam, but this is just this new level of weird. I'm not sure how he thought this memo was going to stop this relationship um, or how that was going to convey his crush on Pam to her, but didn't work as he intended, totally backfired. And then to end the cold open, we get a lot of talking heads with various individuals about their reaction to the news that Jim and Pam are dating. The most offensive of which comes from Angela, not surprisingly, in which she says that she's not surprised by the news of the relationship because Pam is the office mattress. And Pam has only been in one office relationship. Well, two. Now, too. Now, too. But prior to this, she had been with Roy. Which, of course, is ironic because of... Exactly. Events later in this season with Angela. Toby's kind of defensiveness and pettiness bleeds over into the main part of the episode when Pam and Jim come to see him. Now that their relationship is out in the open they talk to toby to see if they need to fill out a disclosure of relationship form similar to the one that jan and michael had to sign last season similar to the love contract right and toby is just very weird in his responses in essentially saying you know, those are only for serious relationships. Let's see how this plays out. Just kind of in denial and really just hopeful that this is a temporary thing so that maybe he has a shot at Pam. Yeah, which he has never made any sort of overture towards Pam 
asked her out, had much of a conversation with Pam. So this truly is this secret crush. And the fact that he's letting it manifest in this way is just over the top weird, um, in my opinion. And so Jim is sort of thrown off a little bit, but he's like, all right, whatever. We don't have to sign it. So like I've said several times before, Toby remains the worst HR officer in the world because that would never fly. As one relationship in the office is blooming, another is dying on the vine. Dwight really has some making up to do to Angela for killing Sprinkles out of out of mercy, but for doing it in the first place. He attempts to extend the olive branch to Angela by replacing her cat but he does it in a very Dwight way and it just is this you know you can see the thinking of Dwight knowing the kind of person he is he brings Angela a cat that he found in his barn and in Dwight's mind it's like all right you lost a cat Here's a new cat. One-to-one swap. We're good here. What's the issue? But Angela lost Sprinkles, a cat that is a very, you know, pampered, well-taken-care-of, well, well well-looked-after cat. Obviously one that had a lot of issues. Right. Um, And so swapping out a cat like that with a cat that Dwight as he said, trapped and is now giving to Angela is definitely not the same thing in her eyes. No, and sometimes when people lose a pet, the common wisdom is, oh, you can just get another one. And that's not helpful for someone that's grieving the loss of that pet. Um, And I think it's just because people don't really know what to say. And so... After this, Dwight does that thing in a relationship where if one person is mad at the other person and that person knows that person is mad at them, they kind of do like hovering and just trying like just very niceties and like try to patch things up little by little without actually addressing like the main thing, mostly just to kind of like maybe shorten the gap between them before you actually address that thing. And so Dwight is doing this in the break room and Angela says, I would like to go to dinner with you tonight. And Dwight's like, yes, great, perfect. We can go somewhere to eat. And then he suggests they cook. And Angela says the dreaded phrase of, (laughs) no, I would like it to be somewhere public. Angela is really struggling with their relationship. She knows that she cares about Dwight. And we've seen this over the past couple of seasons since they've gotten together. But she really loves this cat. And these things are really warring against each other. They go to dinner at a public place. It's awkward, but not any more so than any other interaction we've seen between Angela and Dwight. They're trying to make conversation, but Angela says, you know, Dwight, I just cannot do this because every time I look in your eyes, all I can see is Sprinkle's lifeless body. Dwight tells her that she should just not look in his eyes and just look right above his eyebrows as an old sales trick. And Angela just can't do it, walks out, says she will leave his toothbrush on his tire the next morning. The next day at the office, Dwight is continuing just kind of that hovering that he is doing. He brings Angela an invoice from Michael and is just making like very awkward business talk. And then he just drops and I love you or I miss you. And Angela snaps at him and says, elevators right now. And they go and talk there, and Angela is standing firm on her decision and basically tells Dwight, this is it. You need to move on. 
And this is where it really hits Dwight that there's not going to be really any talking through this. Poor Dwight will have to work through this breakup really for the remainder of season four, but it kind of even goes into season five. And this, the Dwight-Angela relationship continues on really for the rest of the series, this um, kind of arcing, coming back and, and away from each other. And there are some people that argue that they are the couple of the office rather than Jim and Pam. And I think that has merit. In terms of what? Just like as a good coupling and that they're like relationship goals. No, I don't think they're relationship goals by any means. That's a weird BuzzFeed thing for... I feel like people that have never been in a actual relationship, maybe, but yeah. I mean, sure, in the sense that like they don't, they both don't like people (laughs) and like they are, like they are. They care about each other. They're the, they're the couple of the office because. They are the literally the only two people in the office that could have gotten together. Right. Like no nobody else could have gotten together with Dwight and nobody else could have gotten together with Angela. Right, that is true. At <laughs> least at least Angela in this manifestation. She has a kind of a weird character development throughout this series. I would agree with that. I wonder if in the early days they didn't know what to do with her and then they sort of like fleshed her out but there she does go through a weird thing as do a lot of the characters in like season seven eight and i don't know if they're just running out of storylines or what but just the character development is is odd and it's it's weird who they choose to kind of give these the, the the development too. So mm-hmm. for example, this is something that we have talked about before. Andy, when he goes to anger management, is shooting Hangover, the first Hangover movie. Right. And so that movie's gigantic, but like there is no residual effect from that at this point. Like right. Andy is not getting any storyline development right now. No, not he, at all. He in the immediate wake of of him coming back. Like he's still just kind of a guy that's there. Get some lines. Get some lines, but that's about it. Now, we see with like Angela and Daryl especially gets a big time Huge development boost. here in later in this season, but definitely next season as well. In Season six, I think, is like the real pivotal turning point for Daryl. And I don't know if that just has to do, again, with Craig Robinson kind of hooking up with like big comedy names in Hollywood. But he didn't have that star rise that, say, Ed Helms did. Like, right. I feel he like- did, there, is, there is no vehicle. There is no like, oh, this is what happened in Craig Robinson's career and now they have to use him because he is Craig Robinson. What's that end of the world movie that was really funny? But he wasn't I think it was literally called was it end of the world? Mm-hmm. Or I can't remember. But he wasn't like that big in it and I think that's I mean even he played himself later. <laughs> that's he had, true. There's hot tub time machine, which yeah. again wasn't huge. Like, like it was it was funny, but it's probably post all of this also. Like, I like, so I liken it to Anchorman 2, I didn't think was very good. I didn't think it was very funny. I didn't see it. Because they overplayed the character that Will Ferrell is. They overplayed Ron Burgundy. They made him into just an idiot. Like a buffoon. But they also had to give Steve Carell a lot of screen time in it as Brick because... He's on The Office, and he's a huge comedy star at this point. He had already done 40-Year-Old Virgin. Like, he's he's about as big of a star as Will Ferrell is at this Mm -hmm. point. And so you have to give him screen time, and with the character of Brick Tamlin, 
there's just not a lot to do with that. Interesting. Well, it was really interesting to me, and we're off on a tangent now, but why not? When season nine was coming to a close, Ed Helms was the one doing a lot of the press. And the reason for that was that Hangover 3 was coming out around the same time. So it's sort of an easy booking. He can talk about two different, like, big things. But it's sort of shocking. Like, John Krasinski, Rain Wilson, Jenna Fisher didn't get a ton of those, like, come on to the Today Show or the Tonight Show, whatever, and just talk about the run of The Office. Like, Ed Helms was sort of the face of the series at that point. And I think that you, uh, Ed Helms had already done enough work by the end of the series to kind of distance himself from his character. Maybe because he, like, his character was never the focal point of the show. Yeah. And so I think people like Rain Wilson and John Krasinski and Jenna Fisher are now that's who they are they are they're pam they're jim and they're dwight that's all they're gonna john not as much well john john had to kind of make his own ways and make some uh, borderline problematic things based off of his own beliefs right and i mean i think even now he's just kind of separating himself from that with the whole uh good news network or whatever well, which got bought out. up. Yeah. Which got bought out. Right. Um, so, yeah. I think John Krasinski probably tried to do that and was only being presented with or was getting notes and castings of, oh, we kind of see you more as Jim, like a, right. a guy like that. And he probably was like, no, I don't want to do that at all. Yeah. And... Curtis, on the topic of this episode, episode two of season four, I didn't find it very interesting or compelling. It sort of dragged in some places. This is another one of those episodes where you can see that they kind of have to piece things together. Agree. There are seemingly some things that maybe like this could have been in three or four different episodes that they were like, okay, well, we got to figure something out here. Yeah. So before we get back to our recap, I just want to share a think piece article that I read on Vox about The Office and why it's so popular. And we've talked about this a few times before because this will come up on just different places on the internet because people need stuff to write about. And... The author, I believe it was the TV critic at Vox, was pointing out why people love The Office, but why it has sort of transcended generations. And I don't know, I just think it's fascinating. They talked to like a middle schooler, they talked to a 12-year-old about why she loves The Office. And she said it's because she can see herself in some of the characters and then some of the situations like in middle school where I'm like really I don't know it just was a little bit of a weird reading to me because her thought and then the critic was like yeah I guess that's true there's gonna be a Dwight in situations there's gonna be a Michael there's gonna be a Jim but I'm like in middle school (laughs) yeah because I mean you get you know one of the big focuses of this whole series and you get this in a lot of sitcoms and especially workplace sitcoms is the who's dating who right there are it's confined to that one space right i can't uh, if i had the time i could probably figure out how many office relationships occur inner office relationships occur in this entire series but to me, that's always been something that I, I've i never liked about this show is that it, that feels lazy. It's just like, really? Right. Nobody else in this they don't know in anyone. this office, they don't know anybody else. They can't date anyone outside of the office. The only person I can think of outside of the relationships that are already established going into this show, mm-hmm. I can only think of two offhand of characters who... I guess three. Three offhand who are 
in working in the office that have a relationship with somebody outside of the office. Andy with Caroline. Jessica. Jessica. Um, Oscar and Gil. And then Angela and the senator. And Stanley and his wives. Sure. Yeah. But everybody else gets paired up and including people involved in those all three of those people end up at least being interested in somebody within the office. Correct. Right. It is a sort of an interesting thing. And that's why I just am so fascinated by the fact that kids in middle school and high school are just so in love with the show. Um, it sort of, it boggles my mind. And I think one thing is it's just this fun relic. Like who knows if these 12 year olds will even ever set foot in an office as depicted on the show. And the article did talk to people around our age. And we've talked about this in the very first episode of this podcast about why we like it. It's a comfort to people. You can turn on just your favorite episode and you're able to just sort of have that escapism for 22 minutes yeah um so it's just it's just a fascinating like concept like i said i don't think this episode is a great one it is just an outcome of the writer's strike um and so the big bulk of the episode centers on ryan coming back for seemingly maybe the first time to the office as the we don't even know what the title is, as the overseer of this branch from corporate. Right. And from the very first time that we see Ryan entering the office, we see he has fully leaned into corporate douche <laughs> persona. Yeah. Because he go, he gets into the office and is typing away on his BlackBerry and Pam goes, oh, hey, Ryan, how's it going? And he, he interrupts her. He, like, he just puts his hand up without even like barely acknowledging her just says hold on just a second doesn't even look up at her finishes whatever he is doing on his blackberry and then goes oh hey pam how's it going Ugh, blackberries i had a friend in college who was a prolific texter he was probably trying to fill some hole now i see but was always 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 texting on a stupid orange blackberry and mostly girls because again trying to fill this like hole in his life driving somewhere texting we're watching like a movie just in our house texting in between practice like at volleyball in between drills like it was just absurd and again just kind of a weird guy a lot of problems there but blackberries did not make the transition from the mid-2000s. They really got drowned out by the iPhone. They still have a niche. It is a very... Oh, really? It's, I, I think it is a very business-centric device in terms of full keyboard. Yeah. Um, you know, big... Like before... I mean, at the, at the time, it was the go-to device for a business. Big key... You know, full keyboard... Big screen. Big screen. You know, you got, you know, easy access to calendars and things like that. Whereas you are not really getting that with a flip phone, obviously. Yes. And iPhones and... iPhone would have... The iPhone 1 would be debuting a couple months from the airing of this episode. Okay. So it's it's really kind of the first step towards the smartphone. Correct, because in and Dwight even makes mention of this. Like, he only has a flip phone, but that's all you would have had at this point. If you didn't have a BlackBerry, didn't have a need for a BlackBerry, all you have is maybe a Razor or some other type of flip phone. And I think they, I can't, BlackBerry may have folded, but I think they still might have that business mm -hmm. niche still going. Interesting. So yes, Ryan, um, typing away on his BlackBerry, has the expensive haircut, the you know the the meticulously manicured stubble, the expensive suit or expensive looking suit at least. He is 
really leaning into this corporate lifestyle. And that is a and that is something that Michael and other people in the office aren't really quite ready to handle. Michael is still treating Ryan as the temp, really. Kevin is still calling him fire guy. It's just not working out as Ryan had hoped. And he's trying to be assertive and really reshape that relationship, which is kind of what he would have to do in this instance. But it is not working for him as he wants. So he has to really lash out and say, nope, I am your boss. This is not how it's going to go. How you treated Jan is how you should treat me, which then Michael takes and runs with in an inappropriate way because he's dating Jan. And Michael definitely feels the hurt in this situation, but he has a seemingly odd interpretation as to what happened in that interaction between he and Ryan. Yeah, Ryan snapped at me, but there was this twinkle in his eye that I picked up on, which said, dude, we're friends. I'm doing this for appearances. I am the big boss now, and I have to seem like an ogre but you know me and you trust me and we like each other and we'll always be friends. And I would never take you for granted in a million years. And I miss you, man. And I love you. His words. Ryan came to the Scranton branch to tell everyone about his brainchild, Dunder Mifflin Infinity, which is just essentially a website that showcases Dunder Mifflin. And he says all essential personnel is gonna be issued Blackberry. The goal is to be more efficient, to be younger, to be faster. And he's sort of very enticed by this technology. He is, he's really throwing out like the, the business jargon. The buzzwords. Like, yes, buzzword, streamline and all, the, all these things. Right. This is probably long overdue for Dunder Mifflin. At this point, I feel like if you are a business with corporate backing, you should probably have an informative, functional website at this point. Sure. I mean, not every you know local restaurant is going to have a website like they do now, mm-hmm. but at this, like, yes, Dunder Mifflin should probably be at this point already. Yeah, at least have some sort of online presence. Now, there are some people within the office, sort of led by Michael and Creed, that just are not quite sure about these changes. Partly because Ryan is not explaining them very well and he's not assuring people about how this is gonna go, what they should use him for. He just says he'll make himself available to set up the BlackBerry, but you gotta use it. Yeah, younger is a really weird, yeah, a weird word for him to use on on many levels. Agree. And I think that that is something that you see with businesses, and it's okay. How can we get into as many demographics as possible? Mm-hmm. And when it's a paper company that doesn't really apply and so i think ryan in in saying younger he's opening himself up to problems that we see play out in this episode but also don't really make sense for the business in general because it doesn't matter who you're trying to sell paper to you just need to sell paper right like you're looking at businesses you're looking at offices hospitals whoever needs a large amount of printer paper essentially you this is not a clothing company this is not a technology company that you're trying to get to the 18 to 35 demographic and ryan may just be trying to sort of prove his worth a little bit in corporate with all this stuff but he appears to have the full backing you know of David Wallace, who's CFO, and I, you know, we never meet the CEO, but 
that would appear to be the case. As you said, so some of the people in the office are feeling a little threatened at this point. No one more so than Creed, who (laughs) the running joke of the show is that he is somewhere between like 60 and 80 years old. He appears to be just super old. I'm pretty sure when he was registering for the 5K last episode, he said 87. So Creed sees the writing on the wall that probably only he is seeing at this point. Right. And goes to Michael and says, all this stuff about being younger, our heads are on the chopping block. We're about to, we're about to go. We need to, you know, do something about this. And that's a very dangerous seed to plant with Michael. And later in the episode, Jan visits Michael just for lunch and really pours water on that seed and allows this to grow within Michael. And it is another classic example of Michael not really understanding fully an idea. Right. Jan is angry that Ryan took her job and that she was let go from corporate. And as Michael's sort of explaining why Ryan's in the office and what they want to do and they want to start implementing this technology, Jan says he'll be lucky if he doesn't get slapped with an ageism suit. Michael has no idea what ageism is. Jan explains that you can't discriminate based on age. Michael takes this and runs in the wrong direction, thinking that, okay, you can't implement new technology because it would be difficult for older people, potentially. Some would be very good with technology. And so that's ageism. So all of Ryan's ideas are illegal. To sort of showcase these ideas, he has a conference room meeting. Not one of the better conference room meetings, I would say. Michael is a little shrewd in executing this meeting though because he brings in a special guest which is Robert Dunder one of the founders of the company and Ryan is seeing where all this is going where this entire seminar is going he's been in this position before and he makes it known to Michael in this episode that I know exactly what goes on in this office. I know exactly how much time is being wasted with stuff like this and with just your general way of managing. Which is fair. Yeah, that's going to change. And so Michael, Ryan tries to put a stop to this and he calls Michael out into, on, into the office outside of the conference room just to have a chat. And Ryan's like, no, this is going to stop now. And Michael goes, well, do you want me to call David Wallace and tell him that you kicked the owner of the company or one of the founders of the company out of this meeting? And Ryan doesn't really have a card to play in this situation. So the presentation goes on as planned. Unfortunately for Michael, the presentation is just not as fruitful as he would have liked. It's kind of just Robert Dunder talking to talk, kind of telling meandering stories about the founding of the company. He doesn't, he's still on the board, but he, he doesn't actually go. He sends a proxy. It's not what Michael had hoped. And Michael ends up kicking him out of the meeting, essentially. So Michael needs a new idea. He needs a new plan to show Ryan that the old ways, quote unquote, of business are just fine. And this newfangled website and these Blackberries aren't going to accomplish anything. And I will give Michael some credit here in that this isn't his worst idea. Sure. I think you see companies in kind of the position of Dunder Mifflin, but also just companies larger than that. You have to kind of find that balance of providing like the quick service, a, you know, a website where you can just order what you need. It'll be there. You know, that's how it's going to work with the kind of personable 
business relationship of a smaller company, face-to-face things. You know the person that you need to talk to for this certain problem. You know, good customer service, things like that. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of have this dichotomy of Ryan on the big business side and Michael on the small business side. And Michael is going out to try and win old clients back with just face-to-face, good old-fashioned small business tactics. Yes, he is going to go to seven ex-clients who have left, who have left Dunder Mifflin for the big box stores, and he's going to take them gourmet gift baskets. Like these are really nice. These gift baskets, like pretty pricey, and it's funny that he's expensing these uh, to accounting because can they really afford these fancy gourmet gift baskets? Michael really wants to do this in teams. Similar to when they went on the sales calls uh, in season three, but really the rest of the sales team is not having it. Phyllis says it's a really dumb idea. Ryan is not happy that it's happening at all. And so Michael decides he's just going to do it alone. Dwight, who is going through his breakup and just sort of needs a distraction and a win, decides to come along. And so... From this point on, you see both Michael and Dwight kind of going through this in different ways as it relates to them. The connection to Dwight is a pretty straightforward one in that he just lost Angela and he wants to try and win her back somehow. And so that's exactly what is going on on this trip is they are going to visit these clients that they used to have that they lost and try to win them back. And so we see two instances of this and it is really just both sides of the coin for Dwight. In the first encounter that we see with, it looks like uh, an auto body place, Dwight is very aggressive and just like, no, we need you back. We're, here's this basket we're we're trying to get you back. He's he's not willing to take no for an answer in this situation. Mm-hmm. In the second interaction, it is with just some, you know, office building and Dwight is very resigned to um there's no way they're coming back. Why would they, you know, they're with the big box stores that has the good website and all this stuff. Why why would they come back to us? It's really interesting because the two client interactions we see or ex-client interactions we see, they both point out the savings that they got, but the the fact that they have this very easy website, which sort of rubs salt into the wound for Michael. I think the second one is at a law firm and the guy sort of perks up a little bit when it's like, oh, you're going to have a website? Let me know when it gets up and running. I'll take a look at it. Is he probably going to change his mind? Likely not, but he's intrigued by the gift basket. As they are driving to the seventh former client, Michael is lamenting about how they're, they're pretty much over six. Delivering the gourmet gift basket didn't change anyone's mind absolutely in, instantly. Michael is using a GPS to get everywhere, which is a little interesting considering that most of these places are in Scranton and he seemingly is from Scranton. But it is a rental, so maybe the GPS just came with the rental. And the GPS is telling Michael to turn right. What ends up happening is that Michael thinks he should immediately turn hard right rather than sort of bare right as Dwight is telling them to do just around the lake. And Michael ends up driving into the lake. And so this serves as kind of justification in a very, very weird way for Michael in that here's this machine that told him to do this thing and he ends up getting burned for it. Yes, like technology is bad. He shouldn't have listened. Now, I have a lot of just issues with the fact that Michael drove into a lake because it's just absurd. It's just the sort of idiocy that is attributed to him sometimes at its peak. 
but probably there wouldn't just be this random opening into the lake. It looks like it's a a, a, a boat, boat ramp, yeah. which, yes, would not show up as a road on a GPS, I wouldn't think. So, yes, Michael takes this as machines are bad and the old-fashioned way is good. And he goes back to the law firm that they just left and asks for the gift basket back and really just goes over the edge here. This is where the episode sort of goes off the rails for me a little bit. It's sort of this extended scene in which they are demanding all of the gift basket be returned. The guy already opened the gift basket and ate the turtles and Michael is just screaming at him about returning these turtles. Probably because he's just mad that what he thought was just going to win people over did not work. And he's going to have to actually give in to Ryan's proposal of all this, you know, new technology. Which is funny because this is where The Office really shows its age is in an episode like this. It's just a website. (laughs) Yeah. And so Michael returns to The Office with the the reclaimed gift basket in hand. And he is really holding on to this quote-unquote victory that he just got of a machine made him do something bad. Right. And he is using this to kind of rub it in Ryan's face that the, you know, machines are bad, where he's completely ignoring the fact that, A... He's the one that drove into the lake. Right. But more importantly, B, his plan didn't work either. These gift baskets didn't get back any of the clients. So. Which he glosses over with everybody. Right. And so if somebody is ahead here, it's still Ryan because this is still the thing that's going to happen. And Michael's ways were seemingly had a negative effect because they had to pay for all of that, all the stuff that went into the gift baskets. Right. Really the last thing of note uh, with this episode is just how much they turn up the volume of making Ryan really douchey. And, And I know that definitely is purposeful as the season plays out, but they also sort of pit Jim against Ryan because Jim is just not at all impressed by Ryan's new lifestyle and his fancy clothes and his stories about New York City. Kevin and Andy definitely are. They are just fascinated and say he just exudes this rich guy fanciness. Kevin says that Ryan could probably get any girl that he wanted. Now there are two women in Ryan's orbit in this episode, I would say. First is Kelly, who's always been there, and he just tossed her aside and really used her in all the previous seasons. And that's just not happening with Kelly. But Ryan also is really weird with Pam. He asked her to design some logos for this new website and then asked her out to dinner. And is sort of really taken aback when she says that she's dating Jim. And it's kind of really weird with Jim after that. But this is really a chance for Jim to be smug and say to the camera, well, guess Ryan can't really get any girl that he wants. Yeah, this is a weird thing that they are trying to do here because you have to assume that Jim, with how season three ends in just the sequence of events, I have to imagine that Jim probably withdrew his name from consideration. Right. For the corporate job. So he can't be all that salty that Ryan got the job over him. I don't know if it's that versus really how much Ryan has leaned into, okay, I live in New York, I work for corporate, I go to all these hot... uh, nightlife places I 
can't I see all these famous people like if he just that he's kind of annoying leaning into that yeah and I I don't disagree with that in the sense of like yeah that lifestyle's not for everybody but Jim being like completely unimpressed with that is understandable in two ways one that yes like sure that's not everybody's life but that's a whole lot more interesting a life than you're living in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Like, and it just goes back to who Jim is and that he's just, eh, I'm not going to really try and do interesting things. I'm good with my boring white bread life. I knew you were going to say that. So that's really all we get of note in this episode. So let's go to the annex with Antoinette and find out any fun facts about this episode. So Ryan's appearance was very meticulously thought out they really wanted to lean into this sort of big city look um and we'll sort of figure out why but it's sort of to give them a rise to make the fall even harder dunder mifflin infinity was this real website that existed it was like a fan site where fans could play games like design a logo or make look young again and so that's where they picked out some of these some of the elements for this episode this episode wasn't that well received um, by critics just one because of the Michael driving into the lake was really received as cartoonish which I would tend to agree it just didn't land for me Curtis do you think we had any firings No, I don't think anybody does anything too egregious in this episode. Michael freaking out on that client isn't a great look, but it's a former client. He's pretty much cementing that they'd never get that business back, but it's not like he lost business there. So Daryl Watch continues on. (laughs) Daryl didn't even appear in this episode, so it's kind of hard to get fired in an episode you aren't even in. Correct. What is your Dundee Award? My Dundee is the Questionable Lineage Award, and that goes to Dwight. In the discussion of Dunder Mifflin getting younger, Dwight talks about how he has very good genes and that he will probably be grow to be very old. He says his grandma is like a hundred and was like a hundred and one when she died, and His grandpa is 105 and is still puttering around Argentina, which leads you to believe that Dwight's grandpa is a former Nazi. Yes, I think that is supposed to be the connection there. What is your Dundee? My Dundee for the worst facade goes to Kelly. She really wanted to play it off that she had no idea Ryan was coming back. She's doing just fine without him. Happy they broke up, dating a lot of guys, but it breaks pretty quickly. Particularly when she walked into the conference room, which was being decorated by the party planning committee with a Welcome Back Ryan banner. And she is wearing this uh, bright pink and white polka dot satin dress, you know, dressed to the nines. Not something that she would normally wear to work. Yeah, Yeah. hair and makeup done. And she's trying to, one of two things, like be like, well, I'm doing just fine without you or I'm trying to get you back. And we realize that she's trying to get him back. Um, And he just asks, you know, how are you doing? And she says, fine. I'm dating a ton of guys, ton of guys. And then just really cannot keep it up. This episode includes one of my favorite interactions where Ryan and Kelly are kind of doing this back and forth thing. And Kelly goes, oh yeah, well, I'm pregnant and I'm keeping it. And it cuts to Kelly in just a one-on-one and she doesn't say anything. She just shakes her head and just like, as in like, no, I'm, I'm not actually pregnant. And it's just a, with how they block that is, it's just very amusing to me. Who is your employee of the month? My employee of the month is Ryan. If only because he is really getting comfortable with his role in corporate. He 
puts Michael in his place, which is something that a lot of people don't do and more people need to do. But also, he is introducing some probably much-needed advancements to Dunder Mifflin. There is a shot of Jim checking the Dunder Mifflin website in this episode, and it says, under construction, you know, supposed to be done in December of 2002, and it's, what, like 2007 at this point. So, yeah, at that point, like, somebody should have just taken that down. Right. But so he is introducing some more technologically advanced things to Dunder Mifflin, which, as we will see in episodes coming up, isn't always the best thing. Sure. Who is your employee of the month? I chose Dwight because he is still processing his breakup, but his initial reaction, I think, was a good one in that he was trying to give himself a distraction. He's trying to work through his feelings and get a victory for himself, which is a hard thing to do when you are going through a breakup or going through any sort of like emotional upheaval like that. And Dwight has a lot to sort of cope with um, this season. So that does it for this week's episode. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter at DownsizingPod to get all the latest updates. And please continue listening to us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening to us. Be sure to rate, subscribe, comment, and like wherever you can in order to get our name out there. We appreciate you guys listening, and we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.